Lord, we come before you, God, with humble hearts, and we ask that you would teach us. Um, Lord, you have so much to teach us. You have you have uh, complete knowledge. You're omniscient. Uh, you're all-knowing, Lord. And we just pray that you would uh, feed us some of your truths, God, that we would be able to apply these things uh, to our lives. Lord, that we would also see you for who you are, uh, Lord, our, our Heavenly Father, who loves us so much. And, and even when it seems like everything is coming against us in this world, God, we know that you are always for us. So I pray that you would bless this time as we enter into the study tonight, as we continue to look at uh, your servant David, uh, God, and just all the stuff he had to deal with in life, Lord. And, and though uh, our obstacles might be different uh, than his, I pray that you would help us uh, supernaturally be able to, to relate with what he's going through in this specific passage, God. So please bless uh, the time that we have together. Fill us with your spirit. Guide us in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Uh, so if you have been with us on Wednesday night, we've been going through First and Second Samuel, been in Second Samuel for quite some time now. And recently, David is going through another series of trials. Now, this specific series of trials started with his son Absalom revolting against him in a very sneaky, conniving way. He literally stole the throne from King David. And because this was David's son... He didn't want to fight against him, nor did he want to bring a civil war into the backyard of Jerusalem. So what did David do? He fled. He, he, he ran. And we can look at that as we discussed last week. Uh, yeah, David's response, his responsibility, what he did was he took action. But we also see God's sovereignty. See, God was bringing David back to the wilderness. If you remember, God had formed his man. He made his king, not in the palace, but in the wilderness. He was molding him. He was shaping him. He was building precious character in him, giving him the tools needed so that he could be the greatest king that Israel ever had, apart from God himself. Now, as David is in the wilderness, as we discussed last week, God's showing up. God is making himself known to David. And we're going to see that again here in 2 Samuel chapter 17. We'll see that though God brought David back to the wilderness, God is going to bring him out. title of this teaching is A Way Out of the Wilderness. A Way Out of the Wilderness. The same God that brought David into the wilderness is the same God that is going to bring him out of the wilderness. Now, in this passage, we won't see David get out of the wilderness, but we will see God making a way out of the wilderness. He'll get out of the wilderness next week. We'll discuss that then. Now, God... When he brings us back to these seasons in the wilderness, these seasons of testing, these seasons of trial, whether they be internal or circumstantial, whatever the case may be, we know he's doing it for our good. But we also know in his goodness, he'll bring us out of the wilderness. Now, that doesn't mean that God's way out of the wilderness is easy. <laughs> Sometimes the way out of the wilderness is extremely difficult. God doesn't promise an easy way out of the wilderness. He's just faithful to provide a way out of the wilderness. 
We see this throughout scripture and even in our lives. If you recall, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, where did he bring them to? He brought them to the wilderness. But his heart wasn't for them to just stay in the wilderness. They brought that upon themselves. It shouldn't have taken 40 years for them to get from one side to the other. But because of their faithlessness, they kind of stuck themselves in this position of just living in the wilderness. God's heart all along was to bring them to the promised land. This applies to us as well. Both in our lives practically here on earth, we go through different seasons in the wilderness, right? We go through seasons where we're at uh, the peak of the mountain where everything uh, seems great. God is showing up left and right. There's so many blessings in our life. And, and those seasons on the mountaintop are sure to be followed by what? Seasons in the valley. And our, our lives are like this. It's just like, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down. Things get good. Things go south. Things get good. Things go south. So we see throughout our lives, God brings us through seasons in the wilderness. Then he takes us to seasons in the promised land. But we also see that our entire lives on this earth is one big season in the wilderness. That's what this life is. We're passing through the wilderness, but what awaits? The promised land. There's going to come a day where there is no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sin, no more death. We'll be in perfect paradise with God. So when we're in this life of the wilderness, we can expect what? We can expect it to be difficult. Just as Jesus promised. Now David is once again in this season in the wilderness. But despite his circumstances, God is going to prove himself faithful. Let's look at it. It's 2 Samuel chapter 17. Verse 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee. And I will strike only the king. Then I will bring back all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. If you recall, Ahithophel, we learned, is this like top-notch counselor. Everything he says is just like wisdom from the Lord. They say he's like the oracle of God. This guy is like the wisest man in the land. And the last advice that he gave Absalom was what? To sleep with all of David's concubines. That would show David to be weak. Also a cultural thing that Absalom, because he's got the wives, he's got the concubines, now he has the throne. But we also see that advice was a fulfillment of scripture from 2 Samuel chapter 12 that we discussed last week. Ahithophel builds on that advice. He was ending his advice in 2 Samuel chapter 17 and he adds to it. Not only do you have to put yourself in this position, Absalom, to show the people that you're strong, we still got to take care of David. So he says, hey, I'll lead an army of 12,000 men and we'll attack him while he's in this state of distress, while he's weary, while he's weak, when he doesn't have time to put a plan together. Let's catch him when he's caught off guard so that he doesn't even know what hit him. And this is exactly what Absalom advises, sorry, Ahithophel advises Absalom to do. 
He says, I will come upon him while he is weary and weak and make him afraid. David, he's not out of the wilderness yet. And as long as he's in the wilderness, he can expect attacks from the enemy. And the enemy knows exactly how to get to David. He knows the circumstances that are going to bring him to the best possible outcome to take David out. Same thing that the enemy does to us. When he's weary, when he's weak, make him afraid. This is point number one. The enemy attacks us at our lowest point in the wilderness. I know that's a long one. The enemy attacks us at our lowest point in the wilderness. He comes at us when we're weary. I'm sleepy. Like I'm actually sleepy right now. I'm sleepy, right? I want to sleep in in the morning sometimes, right? Uh, I'm just so tired. I didn't get enough sleep. And what happens when we're sleepy? We often give in to the flesh in the morning. If I didn't get enough sleep, I don't want to wake up. Next thing that happens, I don't want to get in the Bible. I don't want to pray. You notice this, I don't know about you, but when I'm sleepy, I'm much more prone to eat junk food. When I'm sleepy and I'm tired, I usually don't eat very well. I give into the flesh. The enemy knows that. In our moments of weariness, he knows we're more prone to give into the flesh, so he attacks us. Like when I get out of church, a lot of times on Wednesday night, I don't want to go home and, and cook food. I just want to go get fast food. I'm tired. I'm weary. And the enemy knows it. And it's not that fast food is so bad. It's just an illustration. It's just an example. The enemy comes against us when we're weary because we're vulnerable. Not only when we're weary, he also says when we're weak. I have no more strength left in me. I can't fight any longer. I can't do this Christian thing any longer. I know Jesus said that narrow is the way and difficult is the path that leads to life, but I didn't realize the path was so narrow that it was so difficult and it would make me so weak. See, the enemy, he comes after us, not just when we're weary, but when we're weak. Why? Because he knows that in our weakness, once again, we're more prone to give into the flesh. See, when we're weak, <clears throat> we have a little less fight in us. Now, God can use that weakness, and we'll talk about that in a second. But Ahithophel, he doesn't just use David's weariness, or he's not trying to. This is just a plan, it never happens. Not just his weariness, not just his weakness, but look what else it says here. It says, and make him afraid. If the enemy can instill fear in us, he can take us out of the battle. When we're weary, when we're weak, and now we're afraid. Think about this. Most people won't fight in a battle that they think they're going to lose. Okay, right? I'm not fighting in a fight that I think I'm going to lose. I'll fight in a fight if I think I'm going to win. Not that I'm going around fighting people. Just, just an illustration. The enemy knows. If he can convince us that we won't win the battle, then he can take us out of the battle. He can take us out of the battle before it even starts. That's exactly what Ahithophel is attempting to do with David. 
The enemy comes against us when we're at our absolute lowest point. We referenced this last week, but it connects to this week as well. You remember when Jesus, after he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, he went out to be tempted in the wilderness. And when did the enemy come after him? It's Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Not in the beginning of the fast. He came after him at the end of a 40-day fast. When he's weary, when he's weak, we know the King of Kings wasn't afraid, but Jesus was at his lowest point, and that's when the enemy attempted to pounce on him. See, the enemy looks at weakness and he sees like prime rib. He looks at weariness. He's like, man, I can get them. He looks at fear. He's like, no problem. This is going to be easy. But God can flip all that stuff around. What do I mean? See, what the enemy sees as weakness, God sees it as strength. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Although in our weakness we're more prone to give into temptation, there's also reality. In our weakness, we're also able to gain God's strength. We're able to depend on him. So though the enemy wants to come at us when we're at our lowest point, God often shows up when we're at our lowest point. And we'll see him do just that. Look what he says here. Second Samuel chapter 17. <clears throat> Not only while he's weary and weak and afraid, says, and all the people who are with him, verse 2, will flee the enemy wants to isolate us. And this is point number two. The enemy wants to isolate us in the wilderness. The enemy wants to isolate us in the wilderness. I'm going to get David Wall. He's alone and I'm going to wipe him out. This is what the enemy does. It's First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter speaking of Satan, he says, be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What do lions go after? They go after the weak. They go after the weary. They go after the vulnerable. They go after the ones that are falling behind. They go after the ones that are all alone. They don't go after the huge herd. They go after the one that's just off by himself. This is why Peter refers to Satan as a lion. When we're in the wilderness, the enemy wants to isolate us. How does he do this? Well, he can do this through shame and embarrassment if we commit sin, what happens? Sometimes we don't really want to come to church. Sometimes we don't really want to read our Bible. We don't want to be around other believers. There's too much shame in my life. There's too much embarrassment. I can't face the body of Christ. The enemy, he can use conflicts. Oh, I had this issue with this person last week. And now I know I'm going to see him at church if I go to church. So I'm just going to not go to church. Okay, that's the best idea. Uh, I want to avoid the conflict. So I'm just going to avoid this person, which means I need to avoid the family of God. Makes sense when it's happening. But that's the enemy. That's the enemy trying to isolate us so he can pick us off. Let me show you. It's Proverbs chapter 18. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. It says, 
A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. He says isolation is foolish. Why? Because there's strength in numbers. God knows that. That's why not only when we enter into that covenant relationship with him, do we get the groom, but we also get the bride. We get the whole family of God to do this thing together. The enemy knows we're so much more prone to fall when we're isolating ourselves, when we're by ourselves, when we're alone. Don't allow the enemy to fool you into thinking that you're better off alone. That's a lie from the pits of hell. And he'll use it. He'll use it to pick you off. He'll use it to take you out. He says here, And all the people who are with them will flee, and I will strike only the king. This is interesting. Ahithophel refers to David as the king. And he's speaking to Absalom, who's now the king, the self-appointed king. I believe personally that this just kind of slipped out. (laughs) That he meant to say David and he said the king. But we know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Ahithophel knows in his heart of hearts that David is still the rightful king. And he says here, <clears throat> says, I will strike only the king, then I will bring back all the people to you. When all return except the man whom you seek, all the people will be at peace. Ahithophel is out to kill David, and just David. Why? Because he sees David's mighty men as very valuable for Jerusalem. So Ahithophel assumes, if I just wipe out David, then I can recruit the mighty men and they can start fighting for Absalom. I personally believe that he's underestimating the loyalty of David's men. Who's to say, and Hushai will bring this up later, that if Ahithophel strikes down the king, the people won't still go after Ahithophel and Absalom. So this saying, this is the advice of the wise counselor Ahithophel. It says in verse 4, And the same pleased Absalom and all the elders of Israel. This was actually a really good plan. Quick, strike, just take David out. It would minimize casualties. It would prevent David from being able to come up with a plan to have victory over Absalom. But this plan will not succeed because the counsel will not be taken. Let's look what happened. Second Samuel chapter 17, verse 5. Then Absalom said, Now call Hushai, the archite, also, and let us hear what he says too. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. Absalom, as the self-appointed king of Israel... He's asking everyone for advice, but who? But God. He's not going to God. I wonder how this story would play out if Absalom just went to the temple to seek God and said, God, what do you want me to do? And God says, you're in rebellion. You need to repent and call your dad back here to take the throne. But Absalom, he never seeks God. And we know that this is priority number one. For anyone leading God's people to seek God and what he wants for his people. But Absalom, he never seeks God. He seeks the wisdom of man. 
and he's about to get duped. Look what happened. Second Samuel chapter 17, verse 7. So Hushai said to Absalom, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, you know your father and his men that they are mighty men and they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field and your father is a man of war and will not camp with the people. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit. Now if you remember Hushai, God... Uh, sorry, David had sent Hushai back to Jerusalem so that he could do just this, that he could give Absalom false counsel. So now we see Hushai working behind the scenes. But this wasn't just Hushai working behind the scenes. This was God working behind the scenes. Hushai is going to give Great counsel, not for Absalom, but for David. And and he just has to come up with this on the spot. He hears what Ahithophel says and he just has to come up in his brain. Okay, how can I get David out of this situation? And he's going to. But it's not the mere wits of Hushai. It's the favor of God. Remember, this was something that David had prayed for back in 2 Samuel chapter 15. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, when he sent Hushai back, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 15 verse 31, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. This is point number three. God makes a way out through prayer. God makes a way out through prayer. This was an answer to prayer. And this prayer would make the way of escape, the way out of the wilderness. Those times that we feel stuck, that we feel hopeless, that we feel helpless, that we feel like giving up, that we feel like throwing in the towel, we can't forget the greatest tool that God gave us. What is that? The power of prayer. God can use our prayers to get us out of circumstances that he doesn't want us to be in. Let me show you. It's Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, read a couple verses here real quick. Psalm 34, verse 4. This is David. He says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. David sought God. God delivered him. This was when he was running or he was acting mad before Abimelech. But the same principle holds true once again. Jump to verse 17. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. We might fall in that place where it feels like the weight of the world is on our shoulders and and we can't get ourselves out of this situation. We're doomed to fail. We're doomed to be destroyed. And though we may never be able to get ourselves out of that situation, God can. And He can do it through the power of prayer. God can use our prayers to radically change our circumstances for His glory. That's exactly what we see here in the text, a prayer answer. Now, let's look a little bit at this advice of Hushai for a while. He says, 
in verse 8, you know your father and his men, that they are mighty men, and they are enraged in their minds like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field, and your father is a man of war. Hushai wants Absalom to remember who he's fighting against. Because he wants Absalom to be intimidated. He wants Absalom to think, we can't take out the mighty men with 12,000 men. We need much more. And Hushai is going to use this to his advantage. Then he says, look, at verse uh, at the end of verse 8, and verse the beginning of verse 9, it says, speaking of his father, he says, he's a, he's a man of war and he will not camp with the people. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit. His point is, yeah, that's great that Ahithophel has this idea to wipe out David, but we got to remember who we're talking about. This is David. He's not going to be sleeping in the same area as the men. He's going to be hidden. Ahithophel's never going to find David. He's not going. He's an expert at hiding. You remember how he hid from Saul from all for all of those years. Hushai says, "There's no way Ahithophel's going to be able to take him out because he's not going to be able to find him." Second Samuel chapter 17, verse 9. Surely by now he is hidden in some pit or in some other place, and it will be when some of them are overthrown at the first that whoever hears it will say, there is a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. And even he who is valiant, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt completely. For all Israel knows that your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men. Hushai says, if Ahithophel just sends 12,000 people, and you guys go searching for David, while you're searching for David, these other men are going to wipe you out. And what happens if these mighty men instill fear in the 12,000? You got one shot at this, Absalom. You got one shot. And if you make a mistake with this one shot, it's going to lead to your ruin. If David's mighty men get the best of the 12,000, they're going to flee. And there's not going to be an army on the face of the earth that wants to fight David and his mighty men. His point is that Ahithophel's plan, it's too risky. There's not enough people involved. Second Samuel chapter 17 Verse 11, therefore I advise that all Israel be fully gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba. We need everyone, the whole army and all the tribes, like the sand that is by the sea for the, for multitude and that you go to battle in person. So we will come upon him in some place where he may be found and we will fall on him as the dew falls on the ground and of him and all the men who are with him there shall not be left so much as one moreover if he has withdrawn into a city then all Israel should bring ropes to that city and we will pull it into the river until there is not one small stone found there Hushai tells Absalom, no, 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 12,000 is not going to work. You need to get the whole entire army of Israel. Because if we have the whole army of Israel going after David and his mighty men, there's no way David and his mighty men will be able to win. Not only that, look what he says in verse 11. He says, you go to battle in person. Don't have a hit the fell lead the battle. You go and lead the battle. If you're the king that you claim to be, then lead the army against your father. Rightfully claim, uh, claim the throne. We know Hushai is working for David. He, he's David's friend. And what do we see him appealing to here? He's appealing to Absalom's pride. See, 
Hushai's advice goes right along with Absalom's philosophy of life. And what is that? I'm the man. I'm the center of the universe. I am better than my father. I'm a better warrior. I'm a better king. I can take him out. He's appealing to his pride. See, Ahithophel, the other counselor, he was an expert in planning a revolt. Had they gone that direction, they probably would have wiped David out. We wouldn't hear about him anymore. But Hushai was an expert in appealing to ego. He knew how to get under Absalom's skin in a way that Absalom, hey, if we tell Absalom that he's the center of attention, he's just going to go with whatever you say. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And he says, not only that, he says, if you lead the battle, if you come against him with all these people, then we can wipe out the entire army. We don't have to worry about David and his mighty men. Because what happens if Ahithophel, he takes out David and David's mighty men, because they're so loyal, they get upset and they come and take you out, Absalom. What's to say that they won't start their own movement, their own revolt against you? We might as well wipe them all out. Then we don't have to worry about future rebellion. Second Samuel chapter 17 Verse 14. So Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The advice of Hushai, the archite, is better than the advice of Ahithophel. For the Lord had purposed to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring disaster on Absalom. So they took the advice of Hushai. They liked it better. Why? Because it appealed to Absalom's vanity. It it appealed to his pride. And we see throughout his life, he constantly gives in to his pride. It's all about the appearance. It's it's all about the power. This is what fuels Absalom and Hushai knew it. Absalom gave in. This is the first time that we see Ahithophel's advice not taken. Remember in verse 23, let's look back in Second Samuel chapter 16, verse 23. It says, now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom, meaning he always gave sound advice. This is the first time that Ahithophel, his advice is not being taken. So it says here in verse 14, for the Lord had purpose to defeat the good advice of Ahithophel. This is the most pivotal verse in the whole entire chapter. It it wasn't Hushai's wittiness. It wasn't Hushai's wisdom. It wasn't his clever counsel. It was Yahweh. Yahweh was working behind the scenes. Yahweh was making a way of escape for David. And this is really cool. This is like our, our, our own little secret that the author gives us. He, he just puts it in there. Uh, but hey, know that God's working behind the scenes. There's no implication that anyone in the story actually knew this. That, that God was making uh, Absalom, putting it on his heart to not take Ahithophel's advice. But this is our little secret that we understand that God is working behind the scenes and he has purpose to make a way for his king. This is point number four. God is purposed to make a way. God is purposed to make a way. 
This was the Lord's doing. Yes, he used man, but, but, but he accomplished this in his sovereignty, in his omnipotence. See, God, he always has a way to shift things for his purposes, for his glory, for his people. And that's exactly what he does here. And what does he use? He uses the pride of Absalom. He uses the vanity of Absalom. This is what God does with the enemy as well. He uses the pride of the enemy. He uses the tactics of the enemy to accomplish his goal. What do I mean? It's the cross, right? What are the tactics of the enemy among many things? He, he, he tempts so that people will commit sin. Why? Because sin brings forth death, not just death in this life, but eternity in hell. What did Jesus do? He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. The enemy thought for a moment that he had killed the king of glory, but because he was sinless, death could not hold him, and he rose again the third day. The cross was literally judo. He used the enemy's own weight against him to accomplish his purposes. That's exactly what we see God doing here with Absalom. He used Absalom's pride to make a way of escape for David. But God... He also promises to make a way of escape for us. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God will provide the way out even when it seems like there is no way out of this. I want you to, 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 to focus on this for a second, okay? Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites. When they were fleeing from the Egyptians, when they're facing the Red Sea, okay? Just picture it. You thought you were home free. Uh, you got the Red Sea there, big barrier, okay? Not going to swim across it. And then all of a sudden, all these chariots and soldiers are coming at you. Think about the scene. Where do we go? We're, we're, we're dead people. We're between a rock and a hard place. Our backs are against the wall. Either we drown or we get slayed by these Egyptian soldiers. And as their backs are against the wall, when they seem hopeless, when they seem helpless, when there seems like there is absolutely no way out of this God, God parts the Red Sea. He, he makes a way of escape Escape seemed impossible. And sometimes escape does seem impossible. Seems like, man, with what I'm going through, I have no idea how God could possibly make a way out of this. That he could possibly use this for my good. God promises, hey, I'm going to make a way of escape. There is a way out. Sometimes we just got to be looking for it. And when we look for it and we find it, it's our responsibility to walk through it. God made this way of escape for a few reasons. One, because David is the rightful king and God has favor on David's life. But also, David, he prayed. David's prayer, we see, was more powerful than the wisdom of Ahithophel. The favor of God trumps the wisdom of man every single time. Let's continue with the text. 2 Samuel chapter 17. 
verse 15. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priest, Thus and so Ahithophel advised Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so I have advised. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. So Hushai gives advice, but it appears in the text that he didn't know uh, what advice Absalom took. He just knew what Ahithophel had said, because Absalom told him, and, and he knew what he said. So uh, Hushai's just giving uh, advice to David uh, based on the circumstances. This could go one of two ways. Either way, David, you better act quickly. And the way he gets this advice to David is through a few friends. The priests, remember, David had sent these priests back to Jerusalem. The priest had brought the Ark of the Covenant with David, meaning the presence of God is still with God's king. And he said, no, 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 the Ark is for the people. And he sent the priests back, and now they're there, kind of like spies. But now God's going to use them to get an important message across to David. See, God was using the prayers of David, but David still had to use his head. He, he was thinking, okay, he's praying, God, make the uh, the wisdom, the counsel of Ahithophel, turn it into foolishness. But he also had the mind enough to put people in the right positions so that he could have victory. See, sometimes we can fall on one end of the spectrum or the other. We can just lean completely on the prayer and the hope, hey, God's going to take me out of this situation. Or we can lead on the other end of the spectrum and say, hey, I, I got to do all these different things to get myself out of this situation. I got to control everything or else I'm never going to get out of this. But there's really a balance. And we see that balance with David. Yeah, God uses prayer powerfully, but he also uses our heads. <laughs> we got to use both. We got to use the power of prayer, but we also have to use the wisdom that God has given us. David uses both. So, the advice says here in verse 16, Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily cross over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Hushai's advice was for David to cross over the Jordan. Why? Because it would have been easier for David to cross over the Jordan with the few men that he had. Uh, it would have been a lot easier for him to cross over than it would for you know Absalom and his army of probably like 100,000. We really don't know how many there were. So what he's trying to do is buy David time, okay, so that he can come up with a strategy. strategy. Whether Absalom, Ahithophel comes with the 12,000 or Absalom comes with the whole army who Hushai is giving him advice to set him up for success no matter what. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 17. Now Jonathan and Hamaez, Ahimez, I don't know how to say that one. 
stayed at in Rogel, for they dared not see, dared not be seen coming into the city. So a female servant would come and tell them, and they would go and tell King David. Now these two guys are sons of the priest. David also sent them back. So the priests are using their sons to get this message across. Maybe they were old and they didn't think that they could make it. I don't know. But they use these guys. It says in verse 18, nevertheless, a lad saw them and told Absalom, but both of them went away quickly and came into a man's house in Baharum and had a well in his court and they went down into it. Then the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground uh, grain on it. And the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, where are Ahimez and Jonathan? So the woman said to him, they have gone over the water brook. And when they had searched and could not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. So we still see God working behind the scenes. These uh, two young men, they go to get this message to David. And they're in this place in Rogel, which was just outside of Jerusalem. Well, David isn't the only one that has spies. Okay, Absalom does as well. And he sees these two men. And, and they're already questionable characters. Likely thinking, oh, they're probably still loyal to David. And they see them sneakily departing. So the young lad uh, gives Absalom's men uh, this information. But there's this woman that favors David. And uh, she puts them in the well. And she puts a covering over it. And she puts grain on top of it. So it looked like, you know, uh, the well wasn't being used for anything at the moment and the plan ended up working. The men could not find these two messengers and they ended up going back to Jerusalem. The text continues, verse 21. Now it came to pass after they had departed that they came up out of the well and went and told King David and said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus has Ahithophel advised against you. So David and all the people who were with them arose and crossed over the Jordan. By morning light, not one of them was left who had not gone over the Jordan. The plan to get the message to David, it worked. It worked once again because of God's favor. It also worked because God was using specific people. Both of these things we see happening. The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. God is making sure that David is going to regain his throne. So these messengers, they tell David, you need to cross over the Jordan quickly. God had sent David messengers to help him know which way to go. This is fifth and final point. God sends us help along the way. God sends help along the way. When we're under attack, when we're going through the wilderness, whatever's going on in our lives, we see so often that God sends people to help us. Sometimes it's a, a, a messenger uh, to give you a little word of encouragement. Sometimes that comes through the form nowadays through text messages or phone calls or, or Facebook messages. There's so many different ways, but God, he can use all those ways. Sometimes it's not encouragement. Sometimes it's comfort. Sometimes it's not comfort. Sometimes it's a warning. See, God. He uses people to help his people. Let me show you. It's Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41. If you're in the chronological Bible, we were just reading this last week. Isaiah chapter 41. 
verse 10. He says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What's God saying? When you're going through fearful situations, when the world seems to be coming against you, he says, I'm with you and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you out of this situation. And God, as we see in this text, he often uses people to do just that. You ever have someone like, uh, it actually happened to me today, like you're like going through something, it could be anything, you know, it could be busyness, it could be uh, a loss of a family member, uh, just a lot of things coming to get you against you, a lot of different obstacles, whatever the case may be, and you're just like, man, this is kind of difficult season, and somebody just like, randomly reaches out to you, like shoots you a text message or just say, hey, God's been putting on my heart to pray for you. And it's like, interesting that you say that because I need your prayers desperately right now, right? God does that. He'll put it on different people's heart and say, and sometimes he'll, he'll do it with me and say, hey, hey, you got to reach out to this person. I think they might be going through something. Maybe I don't know. Maybe I do. Or he'll do it with other people to, to reach out to me. Hey, you need to be praying for him. You need to encourage him. You need to comfort him. Sometimes you even need to give them a warning. This is a mixture of all these things we see with these men and the message that they gave to David. 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23. Now when Ahithophel saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled a donkey and arose and went home to his house, to his city. Then he put his household in order and he hanged himself and died and was buried in his father's tomb. Ahithophel was pretty hurt that his advice wasn't taken. Now, it's probably not that. Ahithophel, in his wisdom, likely knew, okay, if they take Hushai's advice, I'm a dead man, okay? Because I know Hushai's friends with David, and I see how this is going to play out, because I'm not, I'm not blinded as much as Absalom is with this pride. I see Hushai giving David time to figure out a scheme, time to set himself up for victory. So Ahithophel likely knew that Absalom was going to be taken out by taking Hushai's advice. And if Absalom was taken out, then Ahithophel certainly would be taken out because he was rebelling against David. So he put his household in order and then he hanged himself. This is interesting. He took time to tend to the cares of this world, but he didn't take time to consider the next world. He, he put his house in order. He, he made every, made sure everything's set up. Maybe he was setting up right in wills or setting up success for his family. He's concerned about all of that, but he's not concerned about where he's going. We see no evidence of repentance. We see no evidence of seeking God and going, man, Lord, I messed up. None of that we see. In the life and death of Ahithophel. Now this man, as we mentioned, is the wisest counselor in the kingdom at this time. And he thought the best option for himself was to take his own life. This just shows us how the enemy can even take out the wisest Christians, the wisest believers. There's nobody that's too wise to come under the attacks and temptations of the enemy. So Ahithophel died. Second Samuel chapter 17, verse 24. <clears throat> then David went to Mahanaim 
And Absalom crossed over the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him, and Absalom made Amasa captain of the army instead of Joab. This Amasa was the son of a man whose name was Jithra, an Israelite, who had gone into Abigail, the daughter of Nahesh, sister of Zeruai, Joab's mother. So, David, he takes the advice, he crosses over the Jordan, this uh, Meh. Hanayim was east of the Jordan, Jerusalem's west of the Jordan. So uh, David, he took the counsel, he took the wisdom, and he bought himself some time. But here comes Absalom right behind him. Now Absalom, he needed a commander of his army, because Joab was the commander of the army, but he stuck with David, at least right now he does. Amasa was actually the cousin of Joab. He was related to David. Joab and, uh, and, uh, Joab was the nephew of David. Amasa was the son of one of David's nieces. Okay? That makes sense. I know there's a lot of names in there. But the point of this is that this is family. This is family of David. Not only is his son coming against him, but like his, his great nephew is coming against him as well. And this is such the work of the enemy. The enemy loves to bring family against family. He loves to divide the household. He loves to raise up adversity in our blood families as well as our spiritual families. Why? Because he knows how bad this can hurt. Just the fact of a family member coming against us could be enough for us to quit, to throw in the towel, to stop fighting. Second Samuel chapter 17 Verse 26, so Israel and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. Now, it happened when David had come to Mahaniam, that Shobai, the son of Nahash, from Rabbah, of the people of Ammon, Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar, and Barzillia, the Gileadite, from Rogelum, brought beds and basins and earthen vessels and wheat and barley flour, parched grain and beans, lentils and parched seeds, honey and curd, sheep and cheese of the herd, for David and the people who are with them to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. So we see these other guys come out of the woodworks and they take care of David. Now this was risky. By all outward appearances, it didn't look like David was going to last. He has a very small number. We don't know. It's probably the 600 that he's had on a consistent basis. And then you got this other uh, army that has tens of thousands of people. The whole entire army of Israel. Yet these men show their loyalty to David. It's when we go through the wilderness, the most difficult times in life that we see who our actual friends are. But also... We see in here that when the world comes against the king, it tests our loyalty. Meaning, when the world comes against, not David, but King Jesus, when they ridicule him, when they say all these harsh things about him, when they talk about how foolish Christianity and the Bible and all these different things are, it's a test of loyalty. Will we stand by the king in the midst of his rejection or will we leave aside? These men, they stood by their rejected king and they'll be rewarded for it. But these men, they don't just come to encourage, they came to provide. We see 
God providing in the wilderness once again. He continues to provide in the wilderness. This isn't just once. He's done this already a couple times now. And when we're going through those seasons where life is just tough, things are just getting to us, we can be confident that God is going to provide everything we need. He'll provide for us emotionally. He'll provide for us spiritually. He'll provide for us practically. He'll provide for us financial, financially. He'll provide for us relationally. He'll provide for us everything that we need. We can trust that. No matter how hard the wilderness gets, God will show up to provide. See, God is trying to reveal something to David. He's making a way out of the wilderness. He's giving these little breadcrumb blessings. See, this is the way walking it. I got you, man. Even though it seems like this huge entire army is going to kill you and wipe out all your people, your son is actually going to get the throne permanently. God still shows his favor to David. When we're going through seasons in the wilderness, God is faithful to make himself known to us. He's faithful to drop these little breadcrumb blessings He's faithful to show that he still loves us, that he still wants the best for us, that he still has a way out. It's that glimmer of light in the midst of that extremely dark tunnel. You know how they say the light at the end of the tunnel? Sometimes that light isn't very bright. Sometimes you got to squint to look at that light. But that light, as far as our relationship with the Lord is concerned, that light is the light of the world. And he's showing us the way out. He's showing us that there's hope. That this tunnel's only so long. It's only going to last so long. Do you see that? Can you see the light when you're walking through that dark tunnel? When you're walking through the wilderness? Because I can assure you that it's there. He's making a way whether we see it or not. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness, God. We thank you that you show up in our lives, that you're there for us. Uh, Lord, that uh, especially as we're talking about this season in the wilderness that David's in once again, uh, Lord, I pray that as we go through our own seasons in the wilderness, whatever that looks like for us personally, Lord, that we would see the breadcrumb blessings, God, that you're leading a trail, you're making a way, you're helping us know that you are for us, God, and there's a way out of this. We know you're also faithful to keep us in the wilderness as long as we need to be there, and only you know that. But Lord, just as we see throughout your word, there's a promised land that awaits, God, and your heart is to get us to that promised land, that we would experience the abundant life that you desire for us here and eternal life that you desire for us there. Uh, God, so we pray that you would bless us as we go about our, our week, God, that you would encourage us, that you would comfort us, that you would show us that you're right here with us. In Jesus' name, amen.